the Professionally Speaking Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Professionally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan J. Warner, and with me today is another special guest. We have Stephanie Craig. Stephanie is an expert in crisis communication, and she is president of Kith. Did I say that right, Stephanie? Absolutely. And it, it, it really does mean what you think it means of Kith and Kin. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. And we're going to ask to elaborate on that in a moment. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on and making the time today. Oh, Ryan, it is an absolute pleasure to be able to talk with you about this really cool niche of communications and really kind of management that I work in. Yeah, for sure. And and I can only imagine the different types of scenarios you've seen slash been thrust into and said, okay, Stephanie, help us solve this. Before we go too far down that rabbit hole, can you give our listeners an idea of what your day-to-day is and, and what your current role consists of? Well, I am, uh, as you said, I'm the president of Kith, and we are a crisis management firm. So what we do is a little bit different than straight crisis communications. A good part of what we do is communications. But I think like most of your listeners who are in the communications field, you you deeply understand that there are so many tangential things that as communicators you deal with. Mm-hmm. That don't that don't necessarily align with your day to day of creating beautiful prose or thinking through strategy. Your strategic thinking tends to really bleed into other parts of a business, and that's where we really work. Early in my career, I really worked in uh, media relations, a lot of political communication, so a lot of media relations. I don't really do that anymore. Where we work now in as the president of Kith, we're we're crisis responders. So I am the phone call at 3 a.m., uh, <laughs> which uh, will probably be on my tombstone. We called her at 3 a.m. But we're also really, really big believers in that crisis can be prepared for. And when we talk about crisis, there's obvious crisis and things like tsunami, hurricanes, criminal investigation. But there's also things, the the rest of the kind of crisis that we talk about are things that knock you off your game. So if you are a widget factory, a crisis is something that doesn't let you make widgets. Mm. And so where we're doing a lot of our work right now is working with our clients who tend to be organizations that are going through change, that are in the probably, you know, 100 million to the $1 billion dollar frame is to prepare how to spot it, how to prepare for it, and then how to make it hurt less. Mm. And something that, you know, we really strive for is to make people who work with us have their really bad days, not be so painful, not be so bad. Um, And we tend to work with our clients in long spurts. So depending on how they come into our world, they may come in as a crisis we help them navigate the crisis. Uh, and that can be, we work a lot with legal teams, getting people through through legal challenges, but also preparing for legal challenges. And then we work with them to recover from them. And some of the very forward-looking organizations have co- started coming to us to work in the preparation space. And so as president, I don't get to do as much of the hands-on stuff as I love to do. 
Sure. As people that that uh, work more with clients, one thing we really pride ourselves on is that we are a team of elites. Um, it is very much us who you get when you work with us, mm -hmm. which I think is important um, because people are coming to us on some of their worst days. Even as a CEO, uh, a very seasoned CEO, crisis is really unnerving. And so knowing that you're getting to work with the people that you're talking to on the outside is one of the more comforting things that we get to do. Um, and But one of the neat things that I get to do in addition to direct client work is I get to look and see where we get to take the business next. So here's a, a little fun preview. We're about to launch a legal, high stakes litigation, legal support service offering because we like to work with lawyers. And so we want to formalize it. Very nice. And when will that be? Is that coming in the near future? Absolutely. Next week. Wow. That is the very near future. Yes. <laughs> so I guess Monday. So it'll, it, it, it's something that we're really excited about. And I write quite frequently about a couple of things. One is how good solid management strategy has a good communicator at the leadership table. Sure. And that communicators and lawyers have to work in tandem. There is no such thing as as a differentiator between a court of law and a court of public opinion mm -hmm. as far as reputation goes. And I'm a huge Law & Order fan, so this will <laughs> this will fall right in line. And anything you post to to social media or write in an SEC filing can be held against you in a court of law. And so this just makes sense for us because a lot of what we do with our clients is we end up working with their legal teams. And so now we're going to work with legal teams to help new people. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and as you said, they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it Absolutely. probably probably affords a level of comfort too to your clients knowing that things have been vetted by legal and you know there's no, going to be no blowback and everything's on the up and up. I've never met a, a dumb lawyer. Um, <laughs> You know, what people say about lawyers is what they say. I have a great affinity and great respect for them. And so, but they think in a very similar way. We do this, we do this, we do this, this follows this, follows that. One of the examples is we're working with a very high profile client and there were legal machinations that had happened and the lawyers were going to file numerous filings. They were going and to them, it didn't matter which in which order they went. Sure. But from a communications lens, we got to explain to them that if you file it this way, the story is this, which is yeah. bad for our client. Yeah, if exactly. you file it this way, the story isn't so bad for our client. And that's how having a good working relationship with the legal team didn't was no skin off their nose to change the way they filed but it did make a huge difference in communications and reputation for our mutual client. Yeah. That's a great example of how collaborating and working is a win-win because mm -hmm. like you said, in the court of public opinion and also in the actual legal court, the legal system, you're both get the optimal outcome. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it sounds like from what you just said, I'm, I'm guessing your work is kind of along the lines of the, Ben Franklin quote, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. We would love it if everyone would take that to heart. Uh, <laughs> what, what we say to folks is we're a lot cheaper to prepare than we are to respond. Mm. Uh, 
And it's and for them as well. We're seeing, you know, all over the place that reputation has actual tangible value. And I know that you are a, a, a an international podcast, so I will specify this specifically to America. The IRS actually gives a tangible value to a corporate reputation. And so to take the Ben Franklin quote of ounce of prevention, it's insurance for a lot of these organizations that have buildings or intellectual property, they take steps to insure them. They take steps to protect them. Mm-hmm. And so what we look at, at preparing for crisis, preparing for reputational threats, that's as much an insurance policy as getting fire insurance for your comp- for your factory or getting a patent or getting patent protection for your intellectual property. Your reputation is valuable. And to throw in another quote in there, and I'm very bad at quotes, so it's not going to be an exact quote, <laughs> but you know, Warren Buffett, 25 years to create a reputation that you can lose in seconds. Yep. Yep. And he seems to have done pretty well in his life. Yeah, no, I, I love that quote too. And I, I think it's a hundred percent true. And mm-hmm. people you know, it's funny how we, we say this and I'm kind of guilty of this myself. Sometimes we're talking about these quotes and we're like, yeah, that that's so true. Um, and then so many people, if you ask them, do you believe that? Do you agree with that? They'll say, yeah, for sure. But then they won't actually put it in motion. You know what I mean? Right. They go right, right back to autopilot doing what they were doing through their day to day. So it's interesting that human behavior piece. Absolutely. And, and I think that it's, I write about this as well, which is, when it comes to thinking about what can go wrong, people don't like it. <laughs> uh, they don't like to think, let's put it this way. I'm not a lot of fun at cocktail parties uh, because I see pitfalls everywhere, but people do not inherently like to think about what can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And so that really contributes to people when they are in leadership positions, getting so involved in the day to day that they forget to think about the big picture. And when they do think about the the big picture, they want to think about the sunny picture. Mm. They don't want to think about their really no good, bad day. That's where we come in. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and unfortunately they're calling you, like you said, at the, at the crisis time, <laughs> right? When, yeah. when the ship's falling apart, you know, not, not when smooth sailing and you just kind of reinforce some things on the go. Uh, well, and I think, you know, there are, we are we're building this side of our business because there was a demand for it. And I think that crisis management, risk management is becoming the responsibility of a lot more people. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing boards of directors now have duties related to crisis management because people are becoming more and more accepting of the idea that reputation has value. Mm-hmm. It's now becoming a fiduciary responsibility. Um, you can get insurance for your reputation. And like literally, I think it's AIG has insurance, reputational insurance. Um, and so there is becoming a larger appetite for it. Mm-hmm. But as we see on so many, you can turn on the news every night and there's been something that's happened that um, Boeing, for instance, yeah, which is going through major, major problems. Um, I have no insight into it whatsoever, but do they, I guess as a, an outside observer, the question is, do they put as much effort into 
finding the problem as they do to making the airplane? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. So just as you think through these things, um, more and more people are coming around to the idea of preparing for crisis of going in. One of the things that we do in, in what we call the preparation is we dive in, we like, you know, get into the nooks and crannies and we find policies that don't mesh mm. or we find places that people don't have alignment on what they're supposed to do, or they don't know the person that in a crisis they're supposed to talk to. And they, a lot of times don't want to pick up the phone to call them. And so those kind it seems very um, elementary when we walk you through what we do, but nobody does it. That's the thing. No one says, oh, hey, I don't know Ryan, but I'm fairly <laughs> sure I need to talk to him when, you know, the house is burning down, but I'm not sure I want to call him. Mm-hmm. And so we're the people that say, all right, well, you and Ryan are going to sit in a room. Yeah. And you're going to figure out how you work together. And if there's something that goes, that something goes wrong, that you feel really comfortable calling Ryan. A good friend of mine is in the gaming industry and she works for a global gaming company and happens to be in the line of um, risk management within the company. And at this, in this particular company, the head of crisis is that she is the general counsel. Okay. And the general counsel brings all the people that are involved in crisis to their head office once, twice a year for nothing more than a barbecue. (laughs) Okay. And they get together and they get to know each other. And the purpose is, so when something happens on the other side of the globe that somebody in headquarters needs to know about, there's no hesitation in picking up the phone. Hmm. Amazing how that pays dividends in times of crisis, just that little gesture. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I I just want to touch on something you mentioned earlier. So you mentioned that when it's very important that folks know, your clients know that when they call you, they get, they actually talk to you and your, and your team are the people who actually are boots on the ground. Um, I learned that uh, to my surprise when I was starting out as a as a trainer, when the companies would ask, "Are are you actually coming? or Are you going to send someone?" And I was like, "No, it's it's going to be me." They're like, okay, right. just after the third time, I realized, oh, I guess there's a lot of organizations out there that just send kind of like the you know entry level or whoever's on their team a team member to go complete the complete the training. I thought, wow, that's kind of odd actually. If the person who's the architect of what needs to be delivered is not actually involved directly. You know what I mean? Right. Well, it's, it's so often the case where people will ask you that because they're not used to getting you. Um, am I a big believer in, in bringing along, um, folks that don't have as much experience as me? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. But if I, if, if you're talking to me and I'm telling you what we're going to do, then I'm going to be the person that shows up to do it. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I thought all the time. But. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what do you mean? You don't think you're going to get me? Oh, well, no, you're going to get me. <laughs> for better or for worse, you're going to get me. That's the spirit. I love it. <laughs> all right. So we, we touched on, you mentioned a couple different types of, of crisis and in terms of managing and strategy and, and communication is all a piece of that. What are the different types of crisis that you and, and KISS work with? 
Well, we've, we really put a lot of thought into how we approach this and we like to explain it to people, um, which is, I think, part of, of really honing our craft and being, you know, we do one thing. We do crisis. Mm -hmm. We prepare for crisis. We respond to crisis. We talk about crisis. We do crisis. Um, and so as we've gone through and we've decided, we've really took a, taken a, um, academic look at how you break this down. There's three kinds. There's what we call strategic, which is you take a risk and it may work. It may not work. New Coke. If you remember new Coke. Yeah. Uh, didn't work. Uh, or what is it? Uh, Pepsi trying to come up with a, an alternative to Sprite. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they're on their fourth or fifth iteration. <laughs> it's a risk. It hasn't paid off for them yet, but so it's a strategic risk. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's not really something you apologize for. Um, then there's things that are what we call preventable risks. You don't pay close enough attention to the fire, to the water sprinklers, the fire sprinklers in your factory. You don't do your regular checks. There's a fire. It was preventable. You have your CFO embezzles two thirds of your budget. That's preventable. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's other things that are. Um, I'm just trying to think through some of the more recent clients we've had, which a lot of the preventable crises tend to be ones that are a result of overlooking or just too busy to look. Oh, okay. uh, like I said, embezzlement. Not having a policy of doing really strict background checks. Okay. Um, you know, things like that. We asked a question recently with a crisis simulation that we did. We asked if they if they had ransomware insurance. And they didn't know. Oh, that's an issue. <laughs> and, and then they said, okay, well, if you do have ransomware insurance, what does it say? Are you supposed to pay? Are you supposed to not pay? Do your local laws say you have to call in and report it? Mm -hmm. Do Does your insurance say that you can't talk about it? You need to know all these things because you can't be calling your insurance company in the middle of a ransomware attack and say, uh, hey, are we allowed to pay this? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so these those are types of things that, that are preventable crises. Knowing if you have ransomware insurance is preventable. Sure. Uh, then there's what we call external, right? Tornadoes, uh, um, you know, uh, global conflict, those types of things. Things that come at you that tend to be collective COVID. Mm -hmm. um, those types of things are external. And that's basically, you know, a response to that is is a lot of like, we're just in this together. Show empathy for your fellow, you know, your fellow community members. Um and that sort of thing. And just as a as a nice little aside, my mother once told me that I've now been through almost every kind of natural disaster except a tsunami. And so uh, I am not doing any beach vacations anytime soon. I do not want to be that person. And then there's actually, there is a fourth threat risk crisis that has recently emerged. And it is very recent and it's social risk. Um, social risk is, an, is something that is really dovetailed with the rise of social media okay. and is almost inherently political. 
And uh, most of the time stems from a place of anger mm. or feeling left out or injustice. And when you're an organization, it comes at you in a couple of ways. It comes at you sometimes as a community member and um, Axios, I think about 18 months ago, deemed CEOs, the new political leaders. So there's a e greater expectation of, of companies to take social stances. Mm -hmm. And then there are ones that are directed directly at you. Um, one um, that kind of comes off the top of, off of my head is, you know, there's spokespeople, Bud Light, for instance, Bud Light sending the happy birthday pack to uh, the woman that is transgendered and a real icon. And apparently they've done work with her for decades, mm -hmm. not decades, years. Decades mm -hmm. is a little, little long. Sure. But then there is the absolute uproar from other parts of their customer base. And so that that is a social issue that has come home to roost for a company. And we look at that as, as knowing your values that if you understand what you, what your core values as a company are, and you base all of your decisions, HR, marketing, sales, advertising in those types of values, you know, who you are, you know, who your core stakeholders are. Mm -hmm. Um, those things don't come as a surprise mm -hmm. because your stakeholders know you, you know, your stakeholders, you know, where you want to take your business. That's in line with the people that are most important to you. So social risk kind of comes out of nowhere sometimes, mm -hmm. but it is something that can, you can really root yourself in your values to insulate yourself. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, I'm dying to ask about you, how you got into crisis communication in the first place, but for our listeners out there who maybe haven't thought, oh yeah, something could hit me unexpectedly. And maybe they, they keep a good eye on internal as far as embezzlement or anything like that, but maybe you brought some things to light they hadn't considered before. Uh, what's something that they could be doing that maybe they're not doing right now that's, I don't want to say generic or general, but yeah, is there anything you could share? Kind of a good first step yeah. um, would be taking a hard look at your stakeholders. And every we, we worked with a client recently that their list of stakeholders was 33 people, 33 or different groups long. Okay. And we said, we're like, it can't be, it can't be the case. I see. And so take a hard look at your stakeholders and really figure out who they are. We have one client, their stakeholders are their people. Their people deliver their services. Mm -hmm. So the people have to be happy and it is a very diverse workforce. So figuring out how, what they value, and that's the next step. Take a hard look and really figure out who your stakeholders are. And then don't just say our stakeholders are all right-handed people that live in the Eastern time zone. <laughs> that's, you know, that, that's not a stakeholder group. Sure. Um, as, you know, who is, depending on what kind of company you are, who is buying your product? Or if you are selling a service, who does our service go to? Or if it's, if your stakeholders, your number one stakeholders are your employees, 
What do what are the characteristics of our employees? What do they care about? Where do they communicate? Uh, to ask my stepdaughter, you know, old, Facebook is for old people, and so <laughs> okay. you know, if you if <laughs> uh, she's eighteen, everything's for old people. Um, if you have a, an older than average workforce, putting something on Twitch is not a good choice because that's not where the majority of the of your stakeholders are going to be. So when I say understanding them, I mean figuring out what they care about, figuring out why they like you, figuring out why they're your stakeholder, right? Even an employee has made a decision to take a job at your company. That is a decision and a value judgment. And so looking at, at who they are, why they care, and where they congregate is important. And then create conversation with them, create a relationship with your stakeholders. So when something does happen, and they give you the benefit of the doubt because they know you. And that is uh, sometimes internal. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's external. Uh, good communicators understand that it's both an internal and external. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so that if for anybody that is listening, that that would be really one of the top things you can do to understand how you navigate basically all crisis, you know, a tsunami or a tornado you'll be in league with these people because they're your community um preventable depending on how you conduct yourself they'll give you the benefit of the doubt because they know you yeah sure and sure. strategic they're all they're always a good place for you to go for good feedback on strategic discussions and then when you decide in figuring out in kind of triangulating what your stakeholders value, what you value, and what you do. When it comes to social issues, you will have a guiding light. You will have a North Star mm -hmm. on if you engage, where you engage. There's so many different places that people's beliefs and values pop up that you as an organization will have a touchstone on where your values lie. And I think that's an important part of this. And that's the route which should be guiding you in your crisis preparation, your crisis response, your stakeholder engagement. Um, when you when you have those values, you also need to live them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Which is uh, if if you prioritize diversity, your board better be diverse, your supply chain better be diverse, your HR policies better reflect that. Like this is something that people will notice and with so many outlets for opinion discrepancies are really highlighted yeah no i i love that i i love everything you're saying and the way i think of it when you were talking about triangulating the different priorities when you're making a decision i always view it as like different colored lenses and then when you line them all up and you look through it to see the problem that really will inform the communication, the approach that you take and, and how you're accounting for the stakeholders that are most valuable to you. And it's reflected in that, right? And, and reinforced by Absolutely. your behavior. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, let's let's turn back the clock a little bit here. I know we're, okay. we're, we're, get, we're getting down, down the rabbit hole, but I'm so curious, how did you first get into crisis communication? Like when you were in college, you think I'm going to be a crisis uh, or a crisis strategist one day. I come from a long line of people that run towards bullets. Okay. Um, 
My grandfather stormed Normandy. My dad was a Royal Canadian Mounted Police Officer. Um, I have that same spirit of wanting to be in the middle of everything. Uh, I guess I just didn't have the backbone to uh, go into one where there were real bullets. Okay. And so I just, I just chase the proverbial ones. And so I kind of come at this naturally. I'm a naturally calm person in the middle of chaos. And I find chaos to be quite a calming place for me. Um, when I was in high school, my dad was a hostage. One of his duties was as being a hostage negotiator. Uh, wow. and I think, yeah, very tough, uh, thing to have when you're a 16 year old, because you're expecting to be yelled at and it's, it doesn't quite go that way. <laughs> um, but so it, I think a lot of that informed me as well, which is, um, the capacity to really understand people really fast. Um, there were a couple of things that happened in college that were um, really quite jarring um, for, I went to the University of North Dakota in Grand Forks, North Dakota, which is a lovely town, um, but not much happens there. And, um, you know, when they, when things do happen, you kind of have these moments of, okay, what am I going to do? And my natural reaction is to go towards them, not away. Um, and I do have this, it, it's very interesting. I, I got most of my skills through politics. Um, and I have this moment that I can pinpoint it back to where I went right instead of left. So when I graduated from college, there was a 500 year flood that wiped out Grand Forks, North Dakota. Wow. Uh, yes. I woke up to one of my sorority sisters. We've been evacuated to one of my sorority sisters shaking my foot and saying, Hey, Steph, wake up. Grand Forks is flooded. University is canceled. And congratulations, you just graduated. <laughs> that's that's a lot to process at the same time. <laughs> Especially at seven in the morning. Um, and we had spent, you know, days helping the, the people in town sandbag. And um, we were college students. So there was a couple drinks in there. And, you know, we just, we kind of, we were exhausted. And, um, but I had, I, I grew up in Canada, so I had to go home and um, I was kind of wandering around the student union to try and figure out how I was going to get my stuff out of my sorority house. And I ran into a friend of mine and he said, um, hey, the local papers needs writers and you should come and do this. And I, and I can still see his face. I said, Mark, I'm dirty from the head to toe. Uh, can't do it. And I've got to go home. I've just got to go home. And if you know anything about the Upper Plains, the Red River, which had flooded Grand Forks, flows, flows north into Winnipeg and had flooded everything in between. And Mark went on to work for the paper, which then went on to win a Pulitzer Prize. Wow. And then he went on to become spokesman for the Republican National Committee. And George W. Bush's um, advisor for strategic communications National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications. Um, we're still friends today, by the way. And um, <laughs> so he took that route and I went home to Canada. And, and my I lasted about 36 hours watching constant coverage of Grand Forks, which in addition to flooding, also caught on fire. Wow, uh, that's kind of contradictory. I wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> 
Yeah, the entire, like, I think it's like eight blocks of the downtown caught on fire and burnt to the waterline. Um, and my mom just, she had it and she said, you have to, there's a federal election going on. Figure out which party you belong to and go do something. And kind of the rest is history. And so politics is, a there's a lot of crisis, both in the day-to-day -day but also politicians in particular, when there is a crisis, they're there to help. Mm. Um, I, I'm a big believer in public service. I'm a big believer in people that throw their hats in the ring. And so when something is going wrong, our elected leaders are supposed to be the ones that can try to help. And so for me, that's where I, got, I gained a lot of, a lot of these skills. Um, but I, I do think part of it is, is natural. Um, certain people just gravitate towards this. There's was a big upswing about 10 years ago. There was a show called scandal and a, the character's name was Olivia Pope. Mm -hmm. And, uh, her job was basically to work with scandal and she worked with the white house and all of these things. She had really great shoes and the character was played by the beautiful Carrie Washington who had just really great shoes and everybody wanted to do this everybody wanted to be in crisis after that because she had really great shoes okay and and you quickly find that there is there's a different type of thinking when it comes to crisis i don't i could never be a product pr person i'm not that creative crisis is you are not dreaming up things that can be done into videos it's about being able to get your clients to trust you quickly. Mm -hmm. um, this is probably their worst professional moment. Um, hopefully their worst personal moment. There's, there's a lot of responsibility on your client's shoulders. They're the ones calling you. So they have, they're, they're responsible. And the timeline for responding to a crisis is very short. And so you have to be able to get people to trust you quickly. And I credit my ability to understand people and my ability to connect with people really honestly to growing up in the, in the Mounties. I'm a, in America, we say army brat in Canada, we say Mountie brat. And I lived in all these different towns and I, we moved every three years and the ability to go into a room, talk to people, find out what they value, find out how they communicate, find out who matters to them that's a key point. That's a key element of what I do now. Uh, and I really credit that with how I grew up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, it's, it seems to me and, and just going off of uh, our conversations in, in the past a little bit, you may have had that initial instinct drive to go towards the crisis rather than when everyone else is fleeing the burning building, you're the one running in. But your experiences and your, uh, I guess, dedication to continue to develop your skills have equipped you to not just show up, but to show up with resources, with strategy, with you know different routes for people to take. Because at the end, showing up is great, but if if you're you know, if you can't provide them anything to to help, you're kind of just standing around as as a bystander while the the building burns. Absolutely, and that's something we we when we work with clients in the preparation phase is we get people to look for, we, we get them to do a, an analysis of, of who needs to be on their crisis team. 
And the two questions have to be, can they make a decision or can they contribute? And if they can't do one of those two things, preferably both of those things, <laughs> yeah. but if, they can't, if they can't do one of those two things, they shouldn't be on your team. And that really is where we come from too. And I don't like to work alone because I think that, that there are people, you need people on a team that can, can gut check you when mm -hmm. it comes to crisis, um, but can do it at your speed mm -hmm. because speed is speed is the differentiator and having all of your, your people in place, your policies in place. And that's something we talk about with our clients as well, which we talk about the formula for good crisis management is clarity, which is clarity on your roles, your values, your chains of command, all that. Then there's the trust, trust that the people, the policies and the procedures that you put in place are going to do what they need to do. Sure. And those two things equal speed. And if you're not having to figure out if you have ransomware insurance in the in the face <laughs> of a ransomware attack, that allows you to be faster. And if you get to be faster in mitigating and responding to a crisis, it allows you to recover faster. It allows you to get back to your business, kind of what we talked about at the very beginning, which is a crisis is being knocked off your game. It's not being able to create the widgets. Mm -hmm. So being able to have clarity and trust in your systems and being fast at, at mitigating and responding allows you to get back to making widgets a lot faster. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's a great response. I love that. Uh, we're we're coming up on time, and again, we we appreciate so much you spending some time with us today. But before we go, I have to ask you, and we ask all of our guests this: mm -hmm. if you could go back in time and talk to a 21, 22 year old Stephanie, maybe that Stephanie they got woken up at seven a.m. to be told this place is flooding. Congratulations, you graduated. We got to get out of here. What what message would you tell them? What's something you wish you had heard back then? Listen to my dad. Um, I graduated with a journalism degree and I had all the vim and vigor of being a young journalist. And my dad was a wonderful, wonderful man. And he just said to me, you know, make all the friends you can because it is going to be who you know, not what you know. Mm. And... I didn't admit this to him until I was well into my career, but he was exactly right. Um, and I think that would be the thing that the I would have said to me when I was young is, is just meet all the people. And luckily I, I love people. So I did it without even acknowledging that he was right, but you never know who's going to be a friend, who's going to be a mentor. You never know who is going to be a connection, a colleague, um, a customer, someone that can help you down the road. One of my most prized per, or personal, per, or pardon me, professional possessions are the thank you notes from my interns. Mm. And now to see where they are, one is a you know a, a lawyer, and and one is a you know top White House aide, and just to see where all of these amazing people have gone is really quite exciting. And there's an old adage in, in Washington, be nice to the intern because I'll probably be your boss someday. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the thing that, that I wish I'd acknowledged that I learned was just in, learn to really love people. People are interesting and 
just ask questions and, and, and be open to what experience may come. Because I can tell you without a doubt, Ryan, if you had asked me when I was 18 years old, if I would be doing what I was doing, if I would have worked on Capitol Hill, let alone Parliament Hill, I would have told you you were nuts. <laughs> um, I could never have predicted this life and I wouldn't change it for the world. Well, that's great. That's well, clearly you're, you're great at it and the world needs you and companies need you. So that's, that's a great answer though. I, I love how, you know, the older we get, I mean, speaking for you and I, not everyone else, but the more our father's proven to be right, you know, with mm -hmm. the older I get, the more I realize. back then I was like, yeah, whatever. We'll mm -hmm. see that. That was you, not me. And then exactly. it's starting to, starting to sink in, you know, I still yeah. have days where I'm like, Oh my God, I'm my father. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> yes. At that. And then, uh, I think it's the moments where you realize they were really, really right. Mm -hmm. And it's the, I am them, but then it's, Oh my gosh, they were really, really right. Or the moments where you hear it coming back out of your mouth and you yes. just kind of sit there going, Oh wow. Yes. I just paired it exactly what I, <laughs> A hundred percent. And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the clicks in. <laughs> Absolutely. But anyways, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for making some time for us today. We really enjoyed having you on the podcast and I'm sure my listeners will love this episode. So thank you again. Absolutely. Ryan, it was my pleasure. Yes. And to our listeners out there, we wish you success in your future endeavors. 